verse 17, Romans chapter 5. No, that's what I would have heard. <laughs> nah, you didn't miss anything. Yeah, as far as Lisa verses. Lisa tried to convince me we'd backed up to chapter 3. <laughs> <laughs> if... Because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, and it did. That's uh, conditional assumed to be true, and it is. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace... And the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in the life to the one man, Jesus Christ. Notice the limitation there. Much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I proposed last time that we might want to understand that sentence as much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace, that is a reference to what in Arminian theology we call prevenient grace, God's grace that comes to everyone from the cross, that aspect of the death of Jesus on the cross that is universal providing to all the opportunity to hear and to receive and say yes to the offered relationship. Much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. That's something different than in addition to the abundance of grace. Something that goes beyond just the abundance of grace Something that indeed brings righteousness. And we often call that justifying grace or righteousifying grace. The grace of God which brings and places us within a new and right relationship with God. Much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It's not just, oh, here we have the hereafter promise of life eternal, of going to heaven. We have dominion in life, reign in life. The Holman Bible translates that as reign in life. The New Living Translations will live in triumph over sin and death. The concept being not something for the hereafter, but for something that is now. The bringing of righteousness, uh, the, the bringing of justification, is not just something that deals with tomorrow or, or heaven, the life after this one. It deals with today, the relationship we have with God here and now. So, with that in mind, we now push forward into verse 18 and into yet another set of parallel structures. We've had parallelism already in this chapter from Paul. We've had Paul giving parallel structures in the past in Romans and in his other letters. We're going to see that parallelism again governing in the next set of verses. 
Therefore, verse 18, chapter 5. Therefore, another therefore. Therefore, therefore. Because, inasmuch as, I, I just love Paul's linking these thoughts together. It makes it really hard to find a place to stop. <laughs> therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all. One man's transgression. Any other rendering there? One man's offense. Offense. Any other rendering there? Through one fault. One fault. The New Living Translation says sin. However, the word is not hamartia, the general word for sin. It's a more specific concept. Offense is really close to being correct. Transgression is also fairly close to being correct. Trespass is a bad or very weak rendering there. I, I'm sorry, NRSV, that doesn't really work really well. Transgression is a little stronger to transgress. Offense is also a fairly strong idea here. <coughs> The word is paratomatos. Paratomatos. To transgo, transgress, offend against. It's not hamartia, it's that which creates hamartia, you might say. Therefore, just as one man's offense led to condemnation for all. It's more of that straightforward black and white, no gray area, no limitation, no, uh, no, no uh, delineating of this group but not you know this segment. It's all. Led to condemnation for all. So one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. Who's the one man whose transgression, whose offense, whose act led to condemnation for all? Adam. 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 He gave me, he said eat of it. The poor snake's sitting there looking at me, ah, who do I get this to? <laughs> Adam. Adam led to condemnation for all. This is the parallelism here. So one man's act of righteousness. Who's that one man? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, this translation says, through one recovery of righteousness. Through one recovery of righteousness. One man's act of righteousness, one recovery of righteousness. That's interesting. Uh, the New Living Translation reads, but Christ's one act of righteousness. Holman says, so also through one righteous act. One man's righteous act. One man's righteous act, singular which, of course, is the cross. 
dying on the cross, dying as a substitutionary atonement, dying to pay for sin, dying to bridge the gap, taking the condemnation that we deserve, taking this condemnation that comes from Adam. So one man's act of righteousness leads to justification. Do you have any thoughts on why he picked a word like trespass or something less than mm -hmm. sin? That's a really good question. Why didn't he say hamartia? Why didn't he say sin? Greek is a very precise language. Unlike English, where we have like seven, eight different words that mean almost the same thing, Greek doesn't normally do that. Um, but it does have a few examples of concepts and words that have multiple, that, that, that comply to the same thing. All right. And this is one of those. Uh, look at the word trespass and the word transgress. Both of those words are compound words. Meaning to go beyond or go through or go, go to go where you're not supposed to. And that's kind of the idea in the word here that we have parapnomatos to, to go beyond going to, to go beyond in a negative way, to go beyond what is set and what is right, what is expected, to offend, to transgress the boundaries. And it's that transgression of the boundaries that God set which generates hamartia, sin. So um, it would it'd be a little easier if he said hamartia. We wouldn't have the question. But at the same time, uh, by, by doing that, it's almost as if he's saying, this, this transgression generates sin. This act, uh, this single preeminent act of Adam, choosing to try to have it his own way. He preferred the Burger King plan <laughs> and had it his own way. Doesn't trespass give a, a stronger... Rather than uh, weaker than sin, you're being real specific. In, he, he disobeyed. In English, yes, there are trespasses, are specific actions. Sin is a general state. Right. Now, in modern English, we then say sins. And those sins are trespasses. But, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But the modern version of the Lord's Prayer is forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. But theologically, and in, in taking into account the older intention in English, a trespass is an event, a specific event, whereas a sin is a state. Of well, and this one singular act of Adam is the source of sin in general. The state of the sin. state of sin. I mean, to use that good old Augustine language, it's the fall. Maybe that's an answer, or maybe we're just speculating in the dark. <laughs> I don't know. He was right in a hurry. Dictating in a hurry. He was dictating. Tertius was writing it down, but I, you know, I don't know. I like to think that might that very well could be true. He doesn't use this word anywhere else that I know of, at least not this way. Hamartia is his common word for sin. Anyway, we have the parallelism. As in Adam, all are condemned. 
So also, because of Jesus' action, it says all are justified. Now, let's read that again. Verse 18. Therefore, just as one man's trespass, one man's transgression, one man's offense led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. Well, mine reads a little bit different. Read yours. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. <laughs> I love it. The, that's just fabulous. Uh, who has the King Jimmy? Okay, read King Jimmy verse oh, the 18. Real King Jimmy. The real, not just the new. I want the real King Jimmy. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's the same thing. It's more or less identical. Can I read this one? I want you to read that, please. This one um, has some different words. Hence, then, as through one fault the sentence was unto all men unto condemnation, so also through one recovery of righteousness the decree of favor is unto all men for righteous acquittal unto life. Oh, that's it. <laughs> wow. What translation is that? Rotherham. Yeah, that's Rotherham. He, 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 yeah. But I like the word, the way he says acquittal, because it, acquittal. Makes, it, it makes you think that it's not, it is we're being acquitted of, as mm -hmm. opposed to earning the, right. the end result. It is being declared for us. It's the concept right. of imputed as, a, as opposed to imparted righteousness. We are declared not guilty. And it's also part of that parallelism between condemned and acquitted. Uh-huh, right. it fault, is. The fault of the mm -hmm. one. And then there's now a decree right. of favor, a decree of grace, which mm -hmm. has nothing to do with us, but the person right. giving the decree. Giving right. And we're acquitted because of that mm -hmm. decree. So then, here's the Holman translation. So then, as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also, through one righteous act, there is life-giving justification for everyone. Which is the offer, but not necessarily <laughs> the acceptance. Is salvation... Is, you ain't is, that example, baby. Is... Now, the, just, just on the surface... Now, I'm going to tell you right now, King James... Here does a beautiful job of interpreting the passage. Euphemistically <laughs> speaking. Literally speaking, Holman is really close. Uh, so is Rotherham, although I wouldn't use some of his language. I think it's fine. Yeah. The NRSV does a fairly good job here, too. So does the NIV. Read the NIV. Just as a result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Okay. It's this parallelism that Paul is using. Now, there are several answers. That answer in the King Jimmy is the common Armenian answer. 
which is unusual because the King James is mostly production of Reformed Calvinists. Mm -hmm. Read yours again in the King James. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Stop. That's all. Keep going. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men. Stop. The free gift came to all men. Grace came. Keep going. Resulting in justification of life. So the dobra, which is the word used in the preceding verse, the preceding verse where it talks about the free gift. Oh, I love that translation. <laughs> King Jimmy makes it a lot easier. Read it one more time. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. The free gift came. Mm -hmm. Resulting in justification, what, not what, the what option for free gift in these yeah. others. I mean, that word doesn't even show up. Yeah. It doesn't. They're pulling it from verse 17. Uh, Much more surely will those who receive the abundance yeah. of grace and the free gift of righteousness. Dora of the Dora, Dekaiasune. Uh, the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion. So they're pulling it from 17 to interpret verse 18. But literally speaking, therefore, just as one man's uh, transgression led to condemnation, katakrima, for all, so one man's act of righteousness, dikaiomatos, uh, leads to justification for all. Dikaiosun for all. The parallelism is, is, is really stark, but makes no sense compared to verse 17. <laughs> unless you have one thing going for you. And I don't like it because it's the standard Calvinist answer to the question. But here it is. That all right there is all of humanity. Every single human being from the day of the beginning, however you identify that, to the day and all the way through to the end of time, however you identify that. Every single human being who ever lived and there with one exception, and that's Jesus himself. From Catholic to add Mary into that, but that's another. That's, I won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> Is that pre-Vatican or post-Vatican? <laughs> Pre. <laughs> Jesus. This all is the all of verse 17. If because of one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive. Mm -hmm. All of those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, who exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus. Those are the one man's act of righteousness leads to justification for them and in life for them. Now, actually, it's not a problem for Arminians either because it doesn't say that Jesus only died for them. It doesn't have the concept of limited atonement in it. All it says is that while all means all, the world there, all in the second half of the verse, maintaining the parallel structure only means all of those for who qualify. So it's not 
universal salvation as much as we might like it to be. I'd love it to be. I would just love it if this was saying, just as because Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, therefore the whole world is saved. Wow. What a nice message to proclaim. <coughs> Unfortunately, there's too much scripture that says otherwise. There's another concept which says that this is the, the, the ultimate eternal result. That in life, all may not receive justification, but that in eternity, in judgment, in eternity, God's grace will be supreme, hence all will receive it in eternal life. That's becoming a very popular argument today, but I don't... It's not what Revelation says. I know. <laughs> yeah, which all are they talking about? <laughs> it also doesn't equate with what Jesus said about goats and sheep, <laughs> wheat, and tares. Yep. So he said pretty much what's in verse 18 in most yeah. of these translations, but that wasn't probably what he meant. He's depending. Yes and no. He's trying to draw here the understanding that just as all people are condemned because of Adam's transgression, and there's nobody who gets out of that. And he's already said that in the earlier chapter. I mean, he said that extensively in an earlier chapter. We spent a whole couple of sessions on that, three <laughs> sessions on that in an earlier chapter. Here he's laying it down. Just as that is true, so also all those who are in Christ can be equally assured. It's like all with a wink. All of you. <laughs> but it's following... It's following... Well, you know who you are because of verse 17. The immediate preceding sentence in this paragraph, the immediate preceding sentence identifies who that all in the second half is. Because in verse 17, he does not open it to everybody. He very clearly says, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace, which is a universal gift, and the free gift of righteousness, which isn't a universal gift, exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I'd love it to be universal, but it's not in verse 18. So one man's act of righteousness, lead, let's read the two halves parallel. Much more surely will those who receive the, abundant, the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. All of them, from verse 17. It's almost as if he understands that the reader or hearer is going to pick up on that the preceding sentence delineated the all, pantas, in the second, in the next sentence. Let me read one more sentence. For just as by the one man's disobedience, by the one man's, remember we were talking about specific trespass, specific delineation, don't do this, a specific transgression, don't do this. 
For just as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Well, isn't that all? <laughs> the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Again, parallel. New King Jimmy leaves the V out, which it makes it very confusing when you compare it back against. Read it. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. It's, it's specific one man. I'm curious. Well, two enos anthropu. Two is the one man. Literally, the one. No, what I'm what I'm talking He's about is where you're talking oh. about is the many. When you oh. you read it. Oh, oh, for just as by the one man's disobedience, the many. Okay. And in mine, it's by one man's disobedience, many, many were ma not all, just many. Right. Mm -hmm. That's different. Hmm. Which is you left out the the. Right. Yeah. I didn't did this. Well, NIV. Read the NIV. It's, it's the, but the. It has the. Yeah, right. Uh, the, the NAS many. has the many. The Greek says tes parakois. It, it has the, the. Yeah, in well, it. the many is interpreted as the whole. Yeah, the whole. Mm -hmm. Many is not all the whole. Mm -hmm. It's a lot, but it's not everybody. Well, who's interpreting the, the, the many as being the whole, besides, besides our me. leader? Besides you, me? English. Yeah. English. English. The many? English. Why wouldn't you say all? The many. Why would you say the, the many? The definite article, the, indicates the many is what's up Is the whole? It's the whole of that. It's just a whole lot of them. That's right, a whole lot of them. That doesn't mean everybody, does it? Uh, that could leave Lee and I out. You understand? Uh, yeah, you could. You could be without. Well, this saying. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> you can yeah. Definitely can leave you and Lee out. <laughs> uh, the definite article sides. is what does that though in English here. If you're turning an adjective into a noun, what you're doing is taking a quality and turning it into an object. Mm -hmm. So leave it to the teacher to clarify. The peoples. <laughs> Well, using the many twice mm -hmm. makes it harder and harder to get this <laughs> distinction he's trying to draw. It exactly. does. Exactly. You notice earlier it's all, now it's the many, mm -hmm. or many. And the Greek translation of the word that we're seeing, it, how is that different from all? It's a completely different word, which means many. Without the the in it, that's why you... But you add the the is there. But Jimmy didn't say so. Mm -hmm. No, but King Jimmy doesn't include it. What about in the... It's the same thing. Both Jimmy's have it. <laughs> Both of them have left out the... It's just mm. men. Which seems to be a pretty blatant yeah. disagreement yeah. to the original. Yeah. It is. <laughs> Imagine, that. Imagine that. Imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> the RS all. Huh? Read the RSV oh, verse 19. All. All right. Read the RSV verse 19. Um, and just as all people were made sinners as the result of the disobedience of one man, 
In the same way, they will all be put right with God as the result Ooh. of the Well, that screws everything up. <laughs> that's that, that's, that, is, that is following from the preceding verse, which was breaking from the verse before it. <laughs> which, which makes you know that that all really isn't all. It's just Can all the, that out? except that. Oh. But law came in. Oh. But law, verse 20, but law came in with the result that the trespass multiplied. Dang it, law. Why did you have to come in here? We were doing good enough with trespasses. We committed a whole lot of them before you came along. Now you have to come in and multiply it. Hey, the law makes things worse, doesn't it? <laughs> Don't tell a cop that. But law came in with the result that the trespass multiplied. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. <laughs> so that just as sin exercised dominion in death, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what's this beef against the law? The law makes sin worse. <laughs> it identifies a bunch of Well, this, this one says law was introduced in order to increase wrongdoing. Oh, man. You, it's lacking the, the word understand that it's a sin. Because it's it, without, you, have, you said it last week, without the law, you don't know that it's a sin. But if you have the law to make you aware that such mm -hmm. is a sin, then you're aware of, my goodness, I'm sinning all the time. That's As opposed to, oh, I just sinned this one time. That is Paul's definition of the law. The purpose of the law is to teach you how badly you need Christ. How, how you cannot be righteous on your own. How you cannot keep God's will and do what God wants you to do and be the kind of person God wants you to be yourself. The law, therefore, is the, as Paul calls it, the schoolmaster to teach us our need of Christ. All right? That's Paul's understanding of the nature of the law. So when the law comes in, it makes it a whole lot worse because we look at it and we say, oh boy, we are messing up. What law? He's not talking about Mosaic law. I'm talking about the Namas, the law. Law from. Ten Commandments, the law of Moses, Mount Sinai. In, uh, yeah, the whole shebang. All those laws he knew as a Pharisee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That he said, according to the law, I was blameless. I was a good Pharisee. Blameless. Yeah, right, Paul. You arrogant. <laughs> but I love it. Because he was, he was doing that to show up the futility of the Jewish Christians who were coming along and preaching that same idiotic, awful message. That they were. And therefore you should be just like us. And follow our example. And get circumcised. And, and keep the feast days. And don't eat certain foods. And follow the blood purity laws. And don't use the elevator on the Sabbath day. And all those other things. Um, he, uh, he, his understanding of the law is it shows us that we are in need of God's grace. Hence, but law came in. Law came a sashaying in. 
with the result that the trespass multiplied. Now, in point of fact, you might say, we discovered <laughs> through the law that we were trespassing all over the place. But that's not quite how he writes it. But that's kind of what he means, given that understanding of the role of the law, namas. But law came in with the result that trespass multiplied. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So while we discovered we were a whole bunch of awful sinners, we discovered our need for God's grace. And the good news is, there's enough. It's not a limited supply. But, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You don't have an excuse, well, we've got to ration out grace here, because we don't have enough. Grace is expensive, and we can't very well waste it on this sin and that sin and this other sin, so don't do them. No, it's not, no. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Just as stomachs of youth increase to consume the amount of pizza available, so also the amount of sins that we commit can be covered by the amount of grace that there is because there's an infinite amount of grace to cover an infinite amount of sin. Manifest destiny. Runs out to fill the... Whatever there is. That's right. So that just as sin exercised dominion in death, Sin rules or reigns in death. So grace might also exercise dominion through justification leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. To go back and grab that parallel from verse 17 again. Um, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man Jesus Christ. That last part, that verse 21, second half, parallels verse 17, second half. Which explains, in part at least, verse 18, second half, verse 19, second half. And the point of identifying all and the many is to say it's just as assured as all are sinners, so also it is assured that all in Christ, all who receive this grace, will be justified and have eternal life. Have a, a life that is eternal now, today. So he's pulling that parallelism not to say all are saved. I wish he had, but he, he doesn't really mean that. He's saying, just as certainly as all die in Adam, so also surely all those in Christ will be made alive. To quote another passage. Almost afraid to ask any questions. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to that idea that the law does not save you. Right. That only God's grace does. Paul is consistent uh, throughout all of his letters that it's not keeping the law, it's not following the law that brings justification and life in Christ. It is 
God's grace and our response to God's grace when we live in faith. It's faithing, depending upon God's grace, that saves, that brings um, righteousification and life in Christ. And also, Protestants, and especially the evangelical stream of Protestantism, is often hung up on the concept of salvation. When in fact, Paul, while Paul will use those concepts, he tends, as we saw here in chapter 5, to talk about life in Christ. Zoe, the, the life that we have here and now. Not something that is to come so much as something that is here today. And because it is in Christ, will not quit, will not cease, will carry us on. And we don't have to worry about that aspect. So for Paul, it's not so much a, brown, a, 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 a document or a diploma that we receive, i.e. salvation. It's, it's a way of life. It's life in Christ that we receive. Um, from verse 17. Um, Much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, or down there at the end. So grace might also exercise dominion through justification leading to eternal life. Not something that is to come still, although many people identify that as the next life. No, it's now. If it's truly eternal, it's today. If it's truly eternal, it has nothing to do with time. It's past, present, and tomorrow. And you really want to push that. That means that when we enter into eternal life in Christ, we become... Once we leave this particular life, this particular continuum of existence, we actually exist in that same realm of time that God experiences, where the past, present, and the future are all in eternal now. The Mobius strip, or as I've called it in past studies, aorist tense time. The idea that the idea that we see time, we talked about this last time, we see time, human beings experiencing time linearly, we see time like, like a timeline with the past, the present, and the future. Whereas God, one aspect of God's conception of time, not the only one, is turn that timeline on the end and look down it. So the past, present, and future are all one, one thing. And I've called this the aorist tense for eternity. Or punctiliar, punctiliar time. So that means everything we've lived through we're going to experience... Forever? No. Okay. Is that everything that we've well, everything that we've lived through? <laughs> no. Everything that we scary. have lived through, everything that we live through this instant, last week's session, today's session, and our first session in January are all happening right now. 
Everything that ever happens, happens right now. This instant for God. Punctiliar. Just like you have one little point. It's all in that one instant. It's all, there is no linear time. It's all happens and is. Past, present, and future. And if we are in eternal, eternal life, if, if God's conception of time is anything like this, an eternal life then exists within and beyond time, then when we achieve this eternal life in Christ Jesus, we can kind of grasp it and access it here today. But when we shed the the sarks, the flesh, the stuff of this life, and enter into fully into that eternal existence, we'll have that same view of time that God has. We'll have the mind of Christ, we should. Which means a punctiliary view of time. So any good historian is going to get really excited because they're going to get to see history just as God can see it. And when we get into that state, we see the future too. Because the future isn't really the future, it's within time. It's our right? experience. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, somebody says, well, when I get to heaven, will my mom and dad be there? Well, no. we get there at the same time. It's about as simple as quantum physics. Actually, there is an aspect of quantum physics in this whole thing. Absolutely. Idea. I gave up on quantum physics. Yeah. <laughs> that was above me. But the idea is if eternal life is real and we can experience it today, what is that eternal life? If it's truly eternal, it just doesn't mean from this point forward. It also means from this point backwards. It means there is no limitation, no past, present, or future. I think I'll just have let my faith take over on that one. There you go. In the end, <laughs> hey, in the end, I'm the exact same way. I can't yeah. conceive of the idea. I can talk about punctiliar time. I can generate word pictures to describe it. But can I really conceive of an idea outside of linear time and cause and effect? Mathematically, yeah, but experientially, no. I can't. Okay, I don't feel so bad now. Don't feel bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> I was feeling real stupid there for a minute. <laughs> last time I, last time I talked about this, which was in a Bible study, I think, at Siegelville, I remember several people were sitting there and they were giving me the cross-eyed look. <laughs> <laughs> Except those of us who read science fiction. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Those of us who read science fiction don't have a problem with it at all. <laughs> but, the, but, but only in terms of... Um, of positing the idea, not truly understanding it. I can't understand this idea of time. I can't understand what eternity is, what eternal life is. Are you kidding? I can't understand that. I have enough trouble with 25 years, 40 years, 100 years. It's just a long time. <laughs> it's forever. Yep. yep. <laughs> I love you. But Paul, didn't, don't we always need to get our hours? It helps me to understand that Paul thought it was... Jesus was coming back next Tuesday, right? Mm -hmm. So when he's writing he had an stuff, imminent expectation for the return of Jesus. Well, we discussed that in our Sunday school class in the, the cults and stuff that predict. Oh, want to set the date? Yeah, yeah. 
Paul didn't do that, but he had an imminent expectation for the return of Jesus. It was going to happen soon. Well, his entire ministry was governed by, until the very end, until he was in prison getting ready to die, his entire ministry was governed by this expectation that Jesus was coming soon, therefore he needed to proclaim the gospel to the furthest end of the empire. It was his motivating force. It's the reason why he was willing to set aside issues like slavery and preach the gospel and move on. And it's also why he didn't spend a whole lot of time except for a couple of times for a couple of years in any one place. He was too busy preaching the gospel, trying to spread the good news of Jesus to the furthest end of the empire that he could. And so his expectation for the immediate return of Christ, that immediacy, governed everything he did. See, I think he expects us to understand it easily because if we don't, you're not going to have to really worry about a long time because Jesus is going to be there. Yeah, and he'll explain it. And then you'll, you'll live it. Then you'll, you'll get to experience eternity without any without any sarxy fleshy limitations. Chapter six. I'm going to get us into chapter six. Write that down. That's right. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? You! I was sinking deep in sin. Whoopee! Grace was coming more and more. Oh, man. That would be great. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin? Should we consider in harm, and it's hamartia here, should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? Well, I mean, if, if the more sin there is, the more grace there is, yeah! <laughs> Keep it up! At least that seems to be one of the claims that was being made by certain Christian groups at the time. The Living Bible here says, Well then, shall we keep on sinning so that God can keep on showing us more and more kindness and forgiveness? At <laughs> least we can do it. Yeah, that's right. Well, New Living is similar. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? <laughs> the wonderful, matchless grace of Jesus. The more we sin, the more we get. <laughs> hmm. What are then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? <sighs> Meganoita, by no means or literally hell no. <laughs> Darn it, Paul. This is going to be fun, and you just ruined it. By no means. How can we who died to sin Go on living in it. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ? Who have been baptized into Christ? We're baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might 
walk in newness of life. Now, that right there could take up a couple of semesters in sacramental <laughs> theology um, because it is the basis that a Church of Christ and a Baptist will give you for baptism by immersion, the theological basis for baptism by immersion. You must be baptized, buried into Christ Jesus so that you can be raised to life eternal with Christ. And they say that is the theological proof of it. Paul's Paul's not talking about it there. Yeah, he uses the word baptism. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about immersion baptism only. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, first of all, that's not water. <laughs> and the idea, if you want to get literal here, and one guy said, that's literally baptized into Jesus, means you get plunged into water. Literally, if you're going to be literally baptized into Jesus, you're going to have to have Jesus' physical body there, and you're going to be plunged into it. Ugh. So throw away the literal bit here. All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. The word baptizo, e baptizomethen, baptizomai, to baptize. It's a verb. It means to plunge in. It means to submerge. Means to sink. He says immersed. Immersed. Yours literally says, Do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ? Mm-hmm. The word here is e baptizimen. Baptizo. Baptizo. Or to baptize, actually, because it's a verb. To immerse. Now, to baptize doesn't mean to immerse. I want to be clear about that. It means to plunge into, to sink into, and stay. And McCarthy uses immerse in his note, but the scripture reads baptize. <laughs> it says baptizo. And it means, to, it means to immerse and stay. Not dip in and bring out. I literally. Like, I like immersion better because... There's no sense in that word of coming out. Well, Whereas with baptism... Mm, there is no sense of coming out. out in baptism. If you were to literally baptize someone and theologically replicate, using water, of course, not Jesus' physical body, and replicate the meaning of baptism, you would drown them. Right, but we don't. So we are baptized into Christ where we stay. Right. But going through the actual act, if you're going to do a baptism by physically merging into water, yeah. Right. But that's what the word means in Greek. Uh, baptizo, the word means baptizo means to emerge and stay. To emerge and stay. Which, which to sink. Sense? The Titanic was, was <laughs> baptized. <laughs> <Yeah. right. laughs> Only little bits have been brought out. Most did of it's the, still the there. Lord have, I mean, we use it almost no 
no other way but yeah, it has taken on a mean a, a liturgical, ritual, sacramental meaning, a theological meaning in English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, baptism in fire. It means to be immersed into whatever event that it is. And, and, and almost transformed. And transformed, changed, yeah. entered into. It has that metaphorical meaning. Uh, in <laughs> when when we were christening the the MS Eurodam this summer. The language was funny because they used a computer translator at one point for the Queen's little speech that was printed up when she spoke it in Dutch. And it literally said, I baptize this ship. <laughs> 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 when she took the one the champagne and smashed it, and I just turned to the guy sitting next to me and I said, Try that with a baby. I understand what you're saying. Immerse gives that literal meaning now without any confusion with the sacramental act. But the sacramental act does establish the state that's being talked about here. It is important to pick that up. So let's give it a translation without the, the, the liturgical word for a moment. Do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ Jesus were immersed into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him by immersion into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Was that a version you read out of? I just, tra- I just translated that. Okay. You could have been reading out of Robert. Really? Yeah. I was just translating that out of the Greek. <laughs> um, and yet I don't want to move, move, remove us too far from what baptism is, because while Paul isn't giving an argument for baptism by immersion in water only, he is talking about the essence of what baptism is, the theological essence, being immersed into, baptized into, placed within Jesus and his death. And we are never taken out of it. We're never removed from Jesus. If you are, you're in trouble. <laughs> we die to sin so it can be raised to life eternal. We die to our own desires, our own will, our own, uh, I I did it my way-ism. So it's a metaphorical death. It's a spiritual, theological death. Metaphorical in a sense, but I would push it one step further. We do actually die to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, Having it our way goes out the window. And instead, we turn to Christ and, 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 and open ourselves to having it Christ's way. And we die, we are baptized, we are immersed into him, into his life, into his presence, into his death. So that we may be raised with him into eternal life. So you don't want to stop with one half. You've got to go all the way through to the end. So what Paul is saying here is, with regards to the sin issue, uh, what what then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? Heck no. We've we've been buried in Christ. We've been immersed into him, into his death, so that we might live eternally. And be raised with him to eternal life. 
to walk in newness of life. So that eternal life is here and now. Not that we should go ahead and sin a whole lot more so we get a whole lot more grace. No. We're called to live in Christ. Which means not sinning a whole lot more to get more grace. <laughs> but living as Christ would have us live. Living in Christ with Christ in us. You have been listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2009 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.